Hello, and welcome to Stride and Saunter, episode 265. I'm Kip Clark. And I'm Kathleen Duffy. And today, Kathleen, I wanted to discuss an article which has long held my attention, published by the New York Times on December 19th, 2019, and entitled, A Lonely Plea, Anybody Need a Grandma for Christmas? And this article was written by Maria Kramer about a woman in Tulsa, Oklahoma, who goes by Carrie and is in her 50s, that readers later learn is fighting cancer and is estranged from her daughter, simply reaching out via Craigslist. And the Craigslist ad says, anybody need a grandma for Christmas? I have nobody and would really like to be a part of a family. I can cook and I can cook dinner. I'll even bring food and gifts for the kids. And then in all caps, I have nobody and it really hurts. Let me be part of your family. And the article goes on to say, quote, the response to the Oklahoma woman was swift and in some cases cruel, with cynical comments that accused her of carrying out a hoax or called her a parasite hoping to prey on a generous family. One person told her to go kill herself. Now, Kathleen, I've long held on to this article and wanted to discuss it with you, but it should be noted that we're recording this on April 4th amidst the circumstances of the COVID pandemic. And I think that there are interesting and perhaps sad connections between what this woman experienced around the holidays and what I suspect many of us are experiencing now, that is loneliness. And I would say in an especially peculiar sort of way, because in the 21st century, on some level, we have countless means of reaching out to other people. But I would argue, as I told you before recording is my personal experience these days, I don't think that means we have countless ways of connecting to other people. As one example, you could write countless poems, leave countless voicemails, send countless emails to someone. But to hug them, or even to sit on the same couch as them, is worlds different, at least in my experience. And I ultimately believe that that is what Carrie wanted in this circumstance, simply to be around people. But I won't deny, as there is intellectual skepticism in my personal heritage, the value of being at least somewhat skeptical of things you come across, that's just not my instinct here. And now before I pass it to you, I will also share with listeners that 21-year-old Carson Carlock, whose name I love, also from Oklahoma, did take a screenshot of this post before it was removed, reached out to Carrie, and while she ultimately decided to spend Christmas with her friends, the two did meet up and embrace and also shed some tears and talked. And I find that really touching. I was incredibly moved by this article in many ways. And reading the title alone really assumed that this was going to be some uplifting story about the way a community comes together. And while we do get that in the end with the young Carson Carlock, as you point out, this only comes after a lot of heartache and verbal abuse from the online community. Like you, I really just didn't understand the suspicion with which people reacted. And while reading, I did find myself trying to understand why people reacted that way. It's one of the main problems I had throughout the reading. Part of me wonders if it's the platform of Craigslist, a site which I understand to have a lot of lore surrounding it. It seems to me like many people have a horror story associated with it. But even just in realizing that she chose Craigslist as her platform to use to reach out really says a lot about this woman's situation and something that I think resonates with all of us, which is that it's hard to share that we're lonely with a community of people we know. In particular, I'm imagining why she chose Craigslist over a site like Facebook, which is probably full of friends and distant relatives. But it's hard to say we're lonely. 
And sometimes it's easier to shout that into the void and hope somebody reaches back than it is to tell somebody who you know, who has an idea of who you are. In particular now, I think this is something that we can really understand, especially as many of us turn towards the internet to find a kind of connection when we're all feeling pretty lonely and isolated. In reflecting more on why people reacted this way, I also just felt a lot of fear coming from those people who responded. And I myself think back to all the times that I've been told to be wary of strangers, something that we are all raised to understand and of course is important to an extent, particularly for children. We need to set up a certain amount and degree of boundaries for our safety, but we're not taught about generosity in the same way, which I find really comes out in this article, that we're not willing to find even safe ways to extend ourselves to others, to find ways to sympathize even, without inviting this woman into their home if that makes them unsafe. There are still ways to be there for others, even if it's not in a physical way, for whatever reason that is. What I found particularly moving about this piece and about what this woman asks is that it seems to me that she wants a role in a family again. She wants to be able to serve. The fact that she offers in her posting to cook a meal, something that many of us associate with our own grandmothers, is an incredibly vulnerable request and something I really have trouble with comprehending just because of the sheer yearning of it. Mostly, it just made me reflect on the chosen family in my own life. I'm lucky enough to have a wonderful family that's supportive and that I feel incredibly connected to, but I also have a chosen family. And I think many of us do. Many of us have friends who we consider to be a sister or brother or sibling, but we don't do that in an intergenerational sense. Not very often, at least, and certainly not on our own volition. Growing up, I had an uncle who wasn't really my uncle and a grandma who wasn't really my grandma, but I didn't choose those people. I was born into a family that had that from connections from my parents. And I think on many levels, this reflects our reluctance to develop those kinds of relationships and to think of other people as our family, to choose that kind of kinship with somebody and the extent to which we're incredibly selective about it, not only in terms of personality, likes or dislikes, but also in the mere circumstances of who they are, how old they are, and how we might be able to relate to them. I think that point about who someone is ties back to one of your earliest remarks about Craigslist as a platform. I myself don't have much experience with it except to browse for potential apartments. And in that case, I haven't had shady interactions or uncomfortable dealings. And I, as a man, may be less likely to experience those sorts of things and may also not have explored certain parts of Craigslist that would elicit an unpleasant or fear-inducing experience. In future episodes of this show that I plan to record, topics will be inspired by Reddit posts that I've read, and I know some people have very mixed or negative feelings about that site, which has specific subsites on it for particular interests and groups, spanning everything from violent ideologies to gifts of animals behaving in a cute way. And so I can understand, as you said, Kathleen, how the lore of a website probably played into some people's reactions here. I also am intrigued by your remark that people felt a lot of fear. I agree, and my mind immediately jumps to the fear of what? Fear that she will memorize your address and use that in some way to manipulate or take advantage of you. Fear that she will steal from you. Fear that she will actually not be who she says she is and actually present some sort of physical or other threat. And I think those are all possible fears, but I do think it says something about you and I, Kathleen, maybe naive, 
that that wasn't our initial read of this post. And I wonder if a website or space online could be created that is more safe, less cynical, and less initially skeptical or defensive for circumstances like this. Because the article goes on to note, quote, As baby boomers age, the public is more likely to find posts like this on social media. And I, for one, don't necessarily agree with that prediction. A, I think tech savviness plays a huge role. B, it's possible that baby boomers see circumstances like this and are understandably dissuaded from expressing their true emotions and feelings. And C, as you had already remarked, it's really hard to share that we're lonely, especially with a community of people we know. And while anonymity can be tempting and potentially more comforting, I also think a lot of us increasingly, and because of media that we are shown, are really afraid of strangers. And in order to create a more kind society, I don't think you have to eliminate the potential threat of strangers, but you have to find a way to communicate the great capacity for good that strangers inherently possess. To that point, one of my favorite YouTube channels is hosted by a woman named Thoraya, and I'll include a link to her channel, which has over a million subscribers and deserves far more, in this episode post, and her on-the-street interviews with people, often with very close-up camera shots, ask very personal, meaningful questions. And one of her favorite series asks these passers-by, who's one stranger that you still remember? And I think that narratives like that and examples of people speaking positively serve as a really healthy reminder, yes, that strangers can hurt us, frankly, as can the people we know, but they can also present so many good things. We've covered strangers before on this podcast, but I would remind everyone, if they haven't heard me utter it for the umpteenth time, that everyone you've ever loved was at one point a stranger that you either decided to trust or were placed in circumstances where trust and compatibility were made easier. And I think that's really key, that the identity of stranger did come before whatever role they would come to play in your life. And the last of your points that I'd like to respond to, Kathleen, regards how Carrie framed herself. And I agree that in offering to cook a meal, she simply wanted to be a part of a family. But a part of me also finds it sad that she would even need to offer what she can give because she was clearly in a place of suffering, empty and without hope. And sure, we can still give even when we are suffering, but I also wonder what sort of a world we need to live in, in which things may have needed to be transactional for her to even seem appealing to other people. Could she simply have posted, lonely woman in her 50s seeks to feel like part of a family and would love to spend the holidays with you and actually get some traction on her post? I particularly appreciate your last point because I think it really addresses this theme that I find throughout the article, which is that of need, how we need and how that need is expressed and how those needs can be met. In this point you bring up, I'm finding a new angle to my earlier analysis of the reason why people reacted the way they did with such hostility. And I think a lot of it comes down to the fact that this woman was willing enough to express her needs and that this expression of needs seemed somehow inauthentic because we're taught that we shouldn't have needs and that those needs shouldn't be expressed. We are quicker to think that this is some kind of a hoax than we are to recognize that somebody would actually share that vulnerability. This isn't just any kind of a need, but it's a need in another person. We're taught that our independence is the most important thing about us, especially as we get older. And I think that's one of those primary things that we fear in our advanced age, of that independence that we then lose once more. 
And I have to admit, I was a little bit shocked when I realized Carrie's age, that she was only in her 50s, assuming that she was much older, probably because of my own experience having much older grandparents and my own parents being significantly older than Carrie and only just recently becoming grandparents. But finding that out made her expression of need all the more significant to me, that this is one of those ages where she's expected to be maybe as independent as she ever will be in her life. She doesn't have parents to depend on, and her children, theoretically, are adults now. But the truth is that age isn't something that we grow out of and then return to. It's something that's always there, even if we don't acknowledge it. And it's incredibly disheartening to me that it is so instinctual to ignore that. And ironic, when you consider that one of those most instinctual things about us is the fact that we do need. We need water, we need food and shelter, and we need each other, even just in the nature of our biological conditions. With your mention of her age, one piece of demographic information, another that I find particularly relevant is her gender. Within the article, Kramer mentions that Carrie is actually estranged from her daughter, who's made it clear that she doesn't want Carrie seeing her granddaughter. And Carrie shares an example of actually going by the granddaughter's dance studio with the hopes of catching a peek through the window of her granddaughter. And that detail, as well as the framing of a grandmother or grandma, I think paints a certain image for a lot of us, associations we have with grandmothers or with women that we might not with other people. I think if this post were written by a man, let's say me in 24 years, I don't know if it would have been received in the same way or if we would have the same reaction to some of Carrie's decisions. I personally feel great sympathy for someone estranged from their family, but I also absolutely concede that there's more context there we don't know and we don't deserve to necessarily hear from Carrie. Maybe there's a conflict that she is to blame for. I think ultimately it's a really complex thing, and of all the punishments that we can give people in our society, I think loneliness is one of the most damaging in terms of its health effects and in terms of the psychological outcome. I'm not saying that one can't be estranged for good reasons or that people who do bad things don't deserve to face the consequences, but I do wonder about Carrie. Now, I would conclude by referencing Catherine Fiore, a psychology professor referenced in the article by Kramer, who teaches at Adelphi University in New York and said that loneliness is actually more common amongst adolescents than older people. But because adolescents are growing their social circles in ways that the elder community are not, we may not actually perceive that parity. And I would say, to our audience listening now, whether that is currently, in 2020, or later, I think there's a solid chance that there are elders in your area or beyond your area, but reachable telephonically, that if you have the time and the interest, you might want to reach out to. I'm often of the belief that they have excellent stories and wisdom and various other points of value beyond simply being human beings that deserve interaction that I think a lot of us, with newfound oceans of free time, might benefit from. But Kathleen, those are my main points that I'd like our audience to consider. I'd also love to hear their thoughts on this article that we will, of course, include. But before we formally close, what would you like the audience to consider? I was particularly moved by your framing of loneliness as a kind of punishment. And that's something that I'm realizing is incredibly prevalent in our society, namely when it comes to call-out culture, which deserves many, many episodes of its own. And many people have written extensively on it, but I've recently been hearing many experts shift towards a call-in culture, 
and am really intrigued by the possibilities for creating an environment where people are called in, but boundaries are maintained. And I think that's something that is incredibly relevant to this topic in terms of meeting a stranger online and in our current situation where we can't physically be with each other and boundaries are necessary. And so in light of these reflections, as someone who is trying to navigate this tricky walk of being with others while we can't be with them, I would love to hear how listeners are imagining creative ways to be with others, to call others in while maintaining boundaries. But of course, as always, we want this to be a conversation among, not simply a conversation between. Ours are only two voices, and we genuinely love to hear what you think. So if you have any opinions, comments, or thoughts of any kind, you can find us on Twitter or on Facebook. You can also email us via strideandsaunter at gmail.com. And if you enjoyed this episode, consider subscribing to the show and telling a friend about us. And as always, we thank you very much for listening, and from thought to word and voice to ear, this is Kip Clark signing off. And I'm Kathleen Duffy. Go in peace and conversation.